Come on and listen. We got suggestions on the Bird Talker Radio. If your bird's misbehaving, we'll help you save it on the Bird Talker Radio. If your bird's getting rowdy, just call and say howdy on the Bird Talker Radio. We are birds of a feather. We'll stick together on the Bird Talk Radio. Dot com. You are listening to Bird Talk Live Online, a presentation of KC Bird Whisper International Productions. These shows are live call-in bird talk shows, produced and recorded live from Kansas City. You could be the next guest on Bird Talk Live Online if you have any type of exotic bird, parrot, cockatoo, conure, budgie. We would like to share your experience live on air. If you would like to be a guest on the show, call 816-278-2494. That's 816-278-2494 anytime. Or visit birdtalkradio.com for details, show listings, portfolios of recent guests, and advertising opportunities for your business. Bird Talk Live Online Bird Talk shows are broadcast 24-7, 365 days a year. That's 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, benefiting millions of bird keepers all over the world. I'm your host, Mike Kiger. Thank you for tuning in today. Live from Kansas City, KC Bird Whisperer, International Productions presents Bird Talk, live online. I'm your host, Mike Kiger, live from Kansas City. Go Chiefs! I had to say it. Go Chiefs. Hey, I hope you're doing great down there in Miami, getting ready to beat the 49ers. Listening audience, I have a person on on the phone with me today that has lots and lots of lifetime of experience with Eclectus, keeping Eclectus parrots and Lorella Despero is going to be sharing a lot of that experience with us today. She's involved, been involved in parrot legislation uh, much of her life with some uh, different animal organizations and we are going to enjoy the experience and wisdom from experience with Lorella Despero live on air. Lorella, welcome to Bird Talk Live Online. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. I always enjoy talking about Eclectus parrots and other parrots, too. And uh, I thought I'd start off with the fact that there are nine subspecies recognized. Um, Oriwensis, Miyaki, Cornelia, McGilvery, Polychloros, Radelli, Roratus, Thalamonensis, and Vosmerai. Each one comes from a distinct area. A lot of them come from islands. But in the U.S., we primarily have the Aros, which are a large bird. We have red-sided, which are the polychloros. We have lots of Solomons. We have a few Rosemary and quite a few crossbred birds. One of the reasons we have a lot of crossbred birds is that there were many imported already crossbred from South Africa and from the Philippines. It's because it's very difficult most of the time to recognize the different subspecies. 
especially the males, because they're basically green, all of them. <laughs> and so when you have a green male, uh, that's kind of obvious. But with the females, there are little differences here and there. Uh, and they're basically red, but they have different colors in addition to the red. So it was easier to find out what the females were. And for those of us who are gonna keep and raise eclectus or have them as pets, they have very special dietary needs, which if, if one wants to keep them healthy, that's what should be provided. They need a lot more vegetable fiber, things like celery, Granny Smith apples, broccoli, these kinds of fibers are good because they have a long gut tract and that helps digest their food. They need more beta carotene than other creatures. They need red bell peppers, carrots, and they need their vitamins and minerals in a natural form. We give them a lot of greens like kale, dandelion, endive, and beet greens. They also enjoy sprouted seeds and grains, peas, garbanzos, lentils, sunflower, safflower, kiona, wheat, fenugreek, mung beans, adzuki beans, and fruits. Seasonally, they enjoy cherries, blueberries, blackberries, pomegranates, cranberries, papaya with seed, and mango. It's important to give them a little bit of seed. We tend to feed the seed mix in the evenings for their dinner. And that seed mix can include a few sunflowers, some safflower, a variety of millet and grains, but it should not include vitamins. The nuts we give them, like pine nuts, have a lot of omegas and that's very important. They also enjoy almonds. We do use a naturally colored pellet, but in a limited amount. And there are some things we recommend not feeding eclectus because of the threats. And the first thing not to feed them, eggs. Parrots that are fed eggs will get plaque buildup in the arteries and they have a stroke and die. And this has happened to Eclectus as young as three years of age. And this information, of course, is based on the necropsies provided by the veterinarians. The other thing we don't feed, colored pellets. The problem there is the dyes. It seems that the dyes can be extremely irritating to some individual birds to the point they chew on their flesh. The other problem with dyes is somehow the dye inhibits the normal color production in the feathers when the birds are molting and they're getting a new feather. Instead of the bird being able to make a red or a green feather, it ends up with a yellow feather. Now the yellow is the base. That's a normal base color for the eclectus. And they need to add certain things to turn it into a blue, blue, green, or a red. So if they are fed colored pellets, they may get a lot of yellow feathers. And the last thing that we are concerned about is commercial treats 
that are heavily vitaminized. And this is because this, this has been written about by Dr. Deborah McDonald, who's an Aussie nutrition researcher. And she has written extensively about how if a parrot receives too much man-made A, it builds up in the liver and it reaches a kick point. And when it reaches that point, it stops the ability of the parrot to bring calcium out of the blood and into the muscles, with the result that the parrot has muscle spasms, which it can't control. And those we have labeled toe tapping or wing flipping. In other words, it's an automatic thing. The bird isn't doing it, but the toes open and close, open and close. And that's because that bird cannot process all that man-made A. So we recommend to be very careful about giving commercial treats. And that might include human foods like breads and pastas because they also contain vitamins. You see, a lot of the birds in the wild are not really built to handle stuff that you and I can eat. And what we do, we have a facility called Eclectus Ark. You can look at it on Facebook and you can see pictures of the food and the birds. One of the things that we are real concerned about is cleaning the food to make sure it's safe. Uh, in the past, we have received kale, for instance, that had E. coli on it. And so we're very careful about how we clean the foods. Fresh foods, the vegetables and fruits are all harvested, transported, stored, and handled together. So if a supply from one area has a problem, it can end up contaminating the other materials that are handled by the transporters and the stores and so on. So we want to be very careful in taking care to wash well the fruits and vegetables. And we use a special soap that's out of, you know, you can get it at the store. It's called Mrs. Meyer's soap because it's less problematic in terms of any is left on the food. We try to rinse everything really well. When we sprout grains and seeds and they're well sprouted and we're about ready to feed them, we put them in a solution, a water solution, and we add a little bit of 35% hydrogen peroxide, which begins foaming and destroying bacteria so that we're eliminating any kind of bacteria on it. We rinse it really well, and then it's ready to be fed. We also uh, consider cleaning the bowls, the water bowls and food bowls, really carefully because it's real easy now with some of our food supplies and our water supplies to have contaminants. So we want to make sure that's not going to happen. And let's go now and talk about cages for our eclectus especially for pets. It's really, really important to know one major point about putting an eclectus in a cage. You never put two in the same cage. We're talking about pets. And a pet pipe cage, whatever size it is, is not big enough for two eclectus. 
what will happen if you put two in there is even with young ones, brothers and sisters or two sisters, as they grow and they're not even a year of age, but suddenly one or the other says, you know, this is my cage and I don't want to sleep in it and you better get out. And you now have aggression and you have stress and you have fighting. And if you don't remove those birds, one or the other is going to be hurt and maybe even dead. So this is really an important point. Each eclectus needs its very own cage. And I don't see any exception to that. Now, when we talk about breeding pairs, they can be together in the same cage. But guess what? These are not pet type cages. They're big flights. We try to put all of our pairs, even the Solomons, which are very small, the smallest size cage they go in is six foot long because the males and females do not always want to be right next to each other. In fact, we generally don't have a breeding pair together unless we have a nest box on that cage because the nest box is a signal that says, hey, you two can be bonded. You can be together. You can love each other. But if we don't have that nest box on there, one or the other may say again, hey, this is my cage and you better leave. <laughs> this is a serious problem. I can't stress it enough, but I think, I think we've got that across. I don't think I've ever heard that uh, with any species. A lot of them have different little quirks but I think that's very unique to eclectus is it absolutely the dominance and the the individuality and obvious need to be you know alone have my own space you can have two cages right next to each other and they're very happy that way it's just that they can't be in the same cage. Now they will enjoy visiting each other's cage. Oh, I wanna go in your cage and see what you have in your food bowl. That's one thing, but to lock them in there, that's a whole other problem. It's, it's really interesting. You could have two Amazons in a really small cage. In fact, I've seen them. I've seen two Amazons that are happy as larks in a cage about 24 inches square. And uh, I'm not recommending that. I'm just saying I've seen it. That would never work for an eclectus. Never. <laughs> <It'd be deadly. laughs> the other important point about a cage for an eclectus is they really need a soft wood perch. And uh, what we have found very handy and useful is to go to the lumber store and get a two by two inch unpleated pine or fir. And we use that in most all of our cages because eclectus need to chew wood, especially the females. They have a strong genetic program that chew wood. And so they're gonna try to chew the perch that comes with a cage, but that's hardwood, they can't chew it. So they learn not to chew wood. You see, with chewing wood, they're able to groom their beaks and keep them under control. And with our birds in the aviary, we go in and we check now and then to make sure everybody's beak is in control and they're, you know, have overgrown. One day I saw a couple males with an, each one had an overgrown beak. And I said to them, 
okay, boys, tomorrow I'm bringing the Dremel to, to fix your beaks because they're too long. Well, the next day when I came in, I looked at those boys and their beaks were groomed. They understood what I said. Now, these are not pets. They're breeding birds. They understood me and they groomed their beaks. But they didn't trip. <laughs> yes. I, it, well, I thought I'd chime in a little bit because I've groomed a lot of parrots. And uh, that's, a, that's a funny story. I've never heard of them responding that quickly. But, and my, my macaw, uh, he grooms his own beak too. Um, maybe because he just doesn't like anybody to touch him. And I, early on, I've had him a long time, but when I first got him, you know, I grabbed him and, and he's not tame. So I have to kind of, I have to tackle him and hold him still and roll him up in a towel to trim his toenails and beak. And, and he just did not, I think he bit me harder than any parrot in 30 years that I've had spent grooming parrots. He, he bit me harder than any parrot. And so after that, after he, he almost broke one of my fingers. He bit me so hard. Yeah. And he was really new to my household. He was rescue parrot. Nobody had ever handled him. He spent the first 12 years of his life in a garage with nobody ever handling him and so you know he's a touch me not you know you don't touch me and we get along fine <laughs> so, but, but I was I was really really laughing while you were talking about those birds going ahead and grooming their own beaks because uh, it, it's usually a it's usually a fight you know it, it, listening audience I've been doing a long time and everything Lorella's telling you is like carved in stone. And I'm not an eclectic person, but a lot of the stuff she's talking about is real. It's it's reality. And you deviate from any of this, and you're you're going to be in trouble, maybe. Um, but anyway, Max, um, after we had a couple of really bad grooming sessions, I thought, well. Uh, the other alternative um, is to put abrasive objects in the cage or the condo and uh, so they can uh, kind of whittle down their toenails and beat on abrasive objects in the in their condo and Max spends most of his time outside the condo so I put a big like long thick really abrasive paving stone on top of his condo and he loves to stand on it and walk on it. You know, it's a different surface to give his feet, you know, some a break from, you know, being sitting on the wire of the condo or on the wooden perch. You know, it's flat and hard. He likes to get up there and sit on it, you know, and spread his feet out on it. And, you know, and, uh, and he whittles his beak down on it. I never, I've never had to trim his beak. Now I've had him five years and he whittles his beak down on that and he he bites his toenails off he, he just like a person chews their fingernails he will sit there and and nip 
the ends of his toenails off when they start to get too long. Maybe because he doesn't want me to trim them. <laughs> yeah, so I, was, I was laughing uh, when you were talking about that, Lorella. They're smart. They're very smart. And, uh, they catch on. Yeah, they're intuitive. Yeah. They're far smarter than we think they are. And one of the things I find that's very interesting if I go out in the aviary and I'm doing something they're not used to, some of the birds will say, what are you doing? And uh, in other words, they realize there's something unusual. And uh, if something is happening to one of the birds, uh, the other ones might say, it's okay, it's okay, because they realize it's not a serious thing, but it's something that needs to be addressed. Uh, I think these birds also see th stuff that we don't. And here's why I think so. Um, generally, if I have a bunch of singles, they're in a huge, huge open flight where they can fly around, interact with each other and do stuff. And we'll put single adults in there. And on the side, if say that we're gonna bring a new bird in, we just don't flock them in there and let them go. We put them in a small cage on the side, hanging on the side, we call it a howdy cage so they can get the lay of the land, get a feeling for where they are, and they know they're in a new place. Now, these are all adult birds. They're just that we're introducing a stranger here in the howdy cage. Well, sometimes when I put a stranger in there in the howdy cage, several of the birds in that area will fly over and try to feed the bird. They will offer it food. They will offer it re you know, regurgitated food. Now, they don't always do that. But with some individuals, they do. Now, they obviously see something about that individual that tells them, this guy doesn't feel happy. He's worried. He's stressed. Let's offer him some food so that he feels better. That's an amazing behavior, I think. It is, especially for adults. You wouldn't think an adult would, would feed another bird like it's a baby, you know, regurgitating food and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah that's really something. Well, uh, listening audience, if you're new to keeping pet birds, and if you've had some for a while, maybe uh, you haven't heard a lot of these stories or heard about different species and, and how they are in captivity. Um, we get, you know, varieties of, of uh, behavior from one species to another, from one aviary to another, depending on you know what kind of birds are mixed together how long they've been there and uh it sounds like lorella knows her stuff and that's another thing too uh, lorella i think they they can sense quickly kind of like horses do if, when a person is around them that knows what they're doing that's familiar with with keeping the birds and someone that's not do you agree well i think Yes, I think they can see. I don't understand how this is done, but they can see stuff that's going on with us. I'll just give one quick example. My husband was sitting and reading, and he was thinking to himself, his pet's his pet eclectus sitting on his shoulder, and my husband's thinking, I think I'll go get a cookie. Now, the cookies are at a distance on a counter in a container. He's thinking this thought, and he hasn't even moved, the bird flies immediately over to the cookie jar and stands there. Now, I think that's kind of interesting that somehow that bird knew what was gonna happen. So maybe they have skills that we're not aware of. 
Mm-hmm. They, I've I've heard this before, and a lot of people are like, "Ain't no way," you know, psychic bird. Yeah, but they um, listening on it. I've studied and read a lot over thirty years. One article I was reading a couple of years ago was about uh, parrots in the wild, the big macaws, and um, the author said that they do everything or they do a lot by eye contact. They can just look at each other and know what the other bird is thinking or about to do. And this is probably why they all fly, you know, fly off at once. Um, I've had other people on the show, you know, say that um, they can read your mind. Uh, Magic at Zoxie Bird Sanctuary said the same thing. And he's got over 300 birds there. So I'm sure he's had some experience with them that's obvious about uh, you know what he talks about um, and Michael Cox will tell you that they are mind readers yeah that they they have this unspoken language they they communicate with each other without making a sound they they know what the other one's thinking or uh, you know it's uh, maybe it's some kind of vibration between them uh, in their in their mind that maybe they mentally you know uh, vibrate between each other I don't know <laughs> who would know who would know how that works unless you could actually do it right well I think they might see mental pictures what they might see like you know he, he sees my husband thinking about the cookie so he knows what the cookie is and goes there but you know it's like with all kinds of creatures we there's a lot we have left to learn. We, we just don't know everything. And uh, if we observe and we try to learn from them and we try to understand what's going on, you know, it's a big challenge. It's a big challenge to, and, and with, with each one, you've got an individual, uh, you have basic species behaviors, but then you have individual behaviors. You can't, you know, we can't always say, oh, it's so-and-so, it's going to do this. We can't always say that, but we say, there's a lot to, to go there. For instance, with the pairs, people want to put a pair together and say, okay, I got a male and female, I'm going to put them together. We're not talking dogs and horses here. <laughs> These birds, they want to select their own mate. So what we do is have them in a big flight. And when they decide, hey, these two like each other, we take them out and let them be a pair together. In other words, uh, they're, they're a bonded pair. And it's interesting because most of the time, the self-selected pairs are very happy together. Uh, they're productive. Uh, they enjoy each other's company. And, and they're, really, they're really a joy to see together, even the way they behave and how kind they are and gentle and so on. Uh, there was one pair that fell in love in the open flight. And I mean, these two birds, they wouldn't even go down and eat. All they would do is sit next to each other and preen each other. They were so in love, young pair. So I said, okay, they're so in love, I'm gonna put them in their own flight, which I did. And for two or three days, they hardly ate. They just sat next to each other like, oh, I'm so happy to be with you. And this went on for months. And months later, they had a fight. It was so serious, I separated them. 
So, I mean, there was a case of true love, and look where it ended up. It was just terrible. But that then was the lovers tough. quarrel, huh? Yes, they had a major quarrel, which is very unusual. Very unusual, but it happened, though. <laughs> we have to respond to what we see as managers. We have to say, okay, clearly these people don't want to be together anymore, so we are going to separate them for their own safety. That's just what you have to do as a person. You have to really pay attention and see what the clues are with your birds. And it's an ongoing process. That's why we have a very organized feeding process so that when we're feeding, we don't have to worry about each little detail. We got all the food set and everything goes because then the person doing the feeding can focus on the birds as they go along. What's happening with this pair? Look How at their body birds? language and their droppings. Look Watching droppings, right? Isn't that important when you're, especially in a large aviary, you want to, or in, even just with one bird, uh, you always keep an eye on the droppings to get an idea of, of their health, right? Absolutely. Uh, we call it poopology. <laughs> and once at a seminar. Not exactly the fun part, but. <laughs> It's it's one of the one of the best ways to know, isn't it? Yes. There was a seminar at which an individual veterinarian gave an entire hour's lecture just slides of feces and talking about them and what they meant. And that was an extremely important in fact I'd like to get the guy to write a book about it. It would be very helpful. But uh I don't know if he will. There's a That's... few. There's a few that have been written. I know I know of a couple. I think, and just right off the top of my head, I think Ross Perry wrote a, a poopology book. I'm pretty sure because he's, I, uh, it's years ago when I had him on air, but I was trying to remember. He's a Aussie vet um, on the way down under over there, and he's way old school. He lives out there, you know, he was born out there in the wild or something, and I think he said he was born in an eagle's nest or something. But he's, he's really great. I mean, you know, some people are just naturals. You know, they they pick up on everything. They learn everything. They become a natural ornithological geek. You know, and all their life, and and they can tell you anything about anything, and they've never even read a book about it. You know, and I think Ross Perry's like that. He's learned so much. From his hands-on experience but i think he did write a, a poopology book i'll have to contact him because he is an interesting guy no question he is yeah he's different i'm gonna uh, i tell you it, and even he might be listening but when i first had him on the show i thought i just i just enjoy listening to this guy talk the way he talks the aussie accent and all that I thought I'm gonna have him on the show again just to listen to, to him talk because it, it's so different, you know, it, all the the different words they use and and the way they look at things and and the life experience that they have is really really unusual uh, compared to you know our lives here and and uh, Ross is so um, organic about everything, you know, and the birds. Uh, he was really interesting. I, I do want to have him back on the show again. I have a lot of respect for Ross Perry. I do. He's a, he's a great guy. I thought we might mention a couple things about pet, pet equitus. 
and raising eclectus. And we, for instance, I think it's really important to have the parents raise the birds if they will, if these are gonna be future breeding birds. And we do have some that do that. And for future pets, we remove young ones from the nest at three or four weeks and hand them, but we let them decide when they wanna wean. We don't force weaning. And we don't clip wings because we think wings are kind of important for birds. Um, they're part of their balance and they're part of their thermal regulation. And they're also part of their happiness because we like our birds to be happy. And as a thought for people who are looking to buy birds, we say most professionals are gonna provide you with a contract. And most professionals are gonna be member of an organization like the American Federation of Aviculture. Uh, the Avicultural Society of America, the Organization of Professional Aviculturists, the Society for <laughs> the Breeders and Exhibitors, the National Fish and Softbill Society, and those kind of organizations. I think serious breeders are going to belong to someone. And I think the other thing to say to the new bird owners and the pet owners is. The information on the internet can be very accurate or very dangerous. So uh, it's a good idea to check something out if it doesn't look quite exact. Because some of the websites out there are more about marketing than appropriate care. So that would be something that the pet owners might want to know. And as Tony was talking about, uh, we have threats to our parents. Uh, I imagine that Tony mentioned something about the laws. Uh, we have nationwide potential federal regulations from USDA and from US Fish and Wildlife, which will affect parrot owners. And it's a good idea for parrot owners to check into these national organizations and look at their websites because they will put out warnings about stuff. Statewide, we have to worry about changes that state laws are going to make that might affect certain species, not all species, but it might affect certain species. And then we have to worry about local laws and regulations, laws created by cities and counties. And we can find out about that by looking at their published meeting agendas. One of the reasons for all of this is a very simple thing going on. The animal rights organizations in the United States are promoting anti-ownership of any kinds of creature. And they're focusing a lot on the exotics because they consider there are fewer owners of exotics than there are of dogs and cats. And at one of their law conferences, they actually made a statement that by 2050, they want to hope that they have accomplished their goal, which is no bird or animal in any home or in any aviary or on any farm in the United States. Sounds yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, they're they're extreme. <laughs> that is a concern. I can't so see an extremist. Uh, well, I can't see something that extreme happening. Do you? Uh, Lorella, I, I just wanted to jump in. Is this realistic to think that that something that that could actually happen? Uh, 
that one organization could just you know wipe out all the pets in the USA. There's just there's 17 million birds in the USA. That's not counting dogs and cats. That's right. But here's the plan. They have said there's no way we can accomplish this straightforwardly. No way. People won't go for it. So what we're going to do is we're going to work very incrementally. We're going to get little local laws passed that say you can only have three pets or you can only have 10 pets and you can't have exotics. Or they'll put little special twists on the law, which once it's interpreted, can go to anything. And I remember one case of a local law that was proposed and one of the local pet owners went to the mayor's office and said, and went in and saw that he had a fish tank with fish in it. And she said, do you know this law that you're talking about putting in place would make those fish illegal? And he said, oh my God, no. And she explained how. And so they didn't pass that little local law. But in some other cities and counties, we are seeing this happen. And that's why I say, locally, people need to watch the agenda of their city council and their county commission because that's where these laws start and they start in a very subtle way it's not straightforward that's why we have to watch to protect our hmm. then they amend them later with little twists and turns that nobody knows about until animal control knocks on your door absolutely and uh, i have personally worked to help individuals who were um, having their birds confiscated um, uh, one case, I think, was the most outrageous of all. Um, a, a, an insurance agent was estimating the quality of a roof next door to a place that had birds. And they also had two dogs. They had an old dog, which they had kept because they loved it. And it was old and looked terrible. And this insurance a uh, person went to the local animal, it was in this case, it was a local humane society and said, you know, those people have a dog that looks like it's being abused. So a member of that organization came out and looked at the dog and saw all the nice parrots in beautiful cages, by the way, large outdoor with plantings. And they went back and said, indeed, we have an abused dog here. We're going to take everything. And they did. And these people... They took the parrots, too, huh? Parrots. They took everything. And the uh, they made a big media thing about, it. oh, everything is terrible, this poor dog. And the other dog they had had puppies, and they took it. And the puppies died of parvo at the Humane Society, because that's where they got them. And these people went to their hearing and uh, went to the hearing to present their side. And they saw that, and they actually had a, a lawyer that came to help them pro bono. And they watched as the Humane Society members went in and out of the judges' chambers before the hearing, meaning their best friends. So time for the hearing, hearing takes place. The judge says, these people are not gonna get to keep their birds and animals. We're giving them all to the Humane Society. So the, the lawyer challenged that. They went up the line. These people took $40,000 out of their retirement, took their total retirement, and used that to pay for court costs. They still lost everything. So 
Whoops. The Alarites have done a lot of work in this country. And I hate to even talk about it. It makes me sad to think about it because these people loved their birds and took good care of them. It's just not a case of abuse. So this is a threat we face depending on what's going on locally. And um, <laughs> it doesn't seem right, but we have, we have to pay attention and make sure that laws don't get passed, which make it easy for these things to happen. This happened in Texas. And, and other... you, you have a lot of uh, parent legislation experience, Lorella. You want to move on to that, or um, what? Well, your uh, the organizations you work with, and and basically what you've done uh, for your part uh, regarding all this this legislation. Well. Uh, I could talk a long time about that, but I don't think it's that interesting for most people. But I will say two things that um, I'm very uh, proud of, I guess. And that is back in the 90s, when I was the president of the American Federation of Aviculture, two times we went to Washington to speak up for the ownership of birds. And on one case, it was the US Fish and Wildlife having a hearing about whether or not they should do a whole bunch of things to regulate and monitor and control everything with birds. At that meeting, I had encouraged all of the organizations in this country to send two representatives so they could speak. And the SPBE people spoke about the fact that they had bans provided for birds. Now, there are other companies and outfits that do also, but they were the ones asked to speak about that, and they did. In other words, that birds could be banded, which identified the unique individual bird with the specific band, specific letters and numbers. And other people spoke about the fact that we have a thing called the Model Aviculture Program, where a person who runs an aviary can ask for a veterinarian to come and inspect and see that everything is according to code, that prevention of disease is happening, that everything is well organized and taken care of properly. And that way, that person gets a certificate saying, yes, they, they passed this inspection. So when those kinds of things were presented at that hearing, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife individuals said, you know what, I don't think we need to go out and inspect birds. So that was a very significant action that we took. And we had the cooperation of bird people over the entire United States, which was wonderful. Everybody cooperated, they attended, they spoke, and it made a difference. Because when officials know how something will affect us, they are more inclined to do what's correct, but we have to tell them. As one, as my congressman told me, if you do not tell us how this law will affect you, we do not know because we don't know everything that's going on out in the public. That's why it's important for us as individuals to speak up when something is being proposed. If we see, speak up if it's positive and say, yes, this is good. 
or speak up if it's going to have negative consequences and say, no, this is bad. This is how it will hurt us. And so those are the kinds of things that we worked on in the past. And we're, what we're looking at now is trying to help individuals around the country who are faced, say, with a local law or a county commission regulation, which might affect their ability to own their parrot or to breed parrots. So OPA. As I'm working the chairman of this particular committee, we would be happy to try to help anyone out there who has a problem. They can go to the OPA website or they can communicate so that they let us know they have a problem. We will try to help because we have, you know, we've got access to lawyers and people who are knowledgeable about this stuff. Organization uh, professional aviculturists. Yes. That That's... is, uh, yes, and listening audience, she was uh, referring you to OPA, Organization of Professional Aviculturists, um, where you are uh, chairman there, Lorella, and listening audience, I've talked to a few people in uh, over the years that are involved in legislation and trying to uh, change things or introduce new things. And uh, Lorella is, is, you know, she's raising the, the flag here. She's blowing the horn. And this is your opportunity to, to be aware that there could be a law in your county or your city. There could be a city ordinance, a county ordinance or law, statute, or state law that actually prohibits you from owning a parrot or keeping a parrot in your home or breeding parrots or it could be something uh, a little more subtle that um, animal control could use if if there's a complaint and they come to your home and you know and your birds there um, you've been away for a few days and someone else is taking care of it and they haven't been you know cleaning the you know droppings up uh, well enough or often enough and it, it could things could happen like Lorella described about these other people that lost everything um, because you don't know what your your local ordinance are right Lorella right right and and often here's the sad point most animal control or any of these organizations that come they do not have a background in bird management. They, you know, somebody could point to something and say, that's terrible, when it isn't, because these people are not trained to know all of that. Heavens, they're not even trained to know about farm animals. And, and they have a lot of responsibility and they're trying to do their job and they may not understand that there's no problem. Because so they have it, to guess. They just have to look at yeah. a situation and guess according to their right. own common sense and intellect and make a decision, right? Correct. That's absolutely correct. You are listening to Bird Talk live online, a presentation of KC Bird Whisperer International Productions. These shows are live call-in bird talk shows, produced and recorded live from Kansas City. You could be the next guest on Bird Talk live online if you have any type of exotic bird, parrot, cockatoo, conure, budgie, 
we would like to share your experience live on air. If you would like to be a guest on the show, call 816-278-2494. That's 816-278-2494 anytime. Or visit birdtalkradio.com for details, show listings, portfolios of recent guests, and advertising opportunities for your business. Bird Talk Live Online Bird Talk shows are broadcast 24-7, 365 days a year. That's 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, benefiting millions of bird keepers all over the world. I'm your host, Mike Kiger. Thank you for tuning in today.